I'm part of an elite squad known as a special vi- uh, no, wait, actually, it's just a Twitter thread called Just Be Social, which you can find at hashtag Just Be Social, one word, or sometimes hashtag JBS. My second episode of this podcast was with Molly, who's another JBS member, and this one is with Brenda Hill. She's Kansas City-based by way of Chicago and some other places. She's had a varied, interesting career, and we talked through that. She also has two Gen Z sons, and we talk about her perceptions of what Gen Z might want from work as they start entering the workforce. We also talk about some ridiculous work crap and how one of my old roommates in Houston used to scream every Sunday afternoon about a portal being down. It's a pretty fun conversation, actually. Hope you enjoy it. Well, I would say 20s, hot mess. <laughs> the way I can describe it. Yeah. Hot mess. Didn't yeah. know where I was going. Didn't know what I was going to do. I, I emotionally reacted to a lot of stuff. I had some hardships. I lost all my stuff in a fire, for example. I, I had some really major things happen and bounced around a lot. Um, so what, were you, what were you doing professionally in your 20s PR stuff? No, um, I went to journalism school um, and I found out that I actually hated uh, reporting accident scenes and murders and yeah. gruesome deaths and things like yeah. that. Um, but I, I had writing skill. Um, so my first job out of college was uh, I was a mall marketing manager in North Carolina. Whoa. Um, yeah, I'd never lived there before. I didn't know anything about retail marketing, but I learned pretty quickly. Um, and you got that job straight out of college. Yeah, because That's actually pretty cool. Strangely enough, I had done an internship there uh, in Dallas. I spent one summer in Dallas doing an internship with that company while I was in college, and so um, they looked for people with communication skills, really, and they were kind of willing for you to learn the. Rest. So I took the leap and. Um, and took that job. So that was my first job out of school. And then I was only out in North Carolina for a year when that property went bankrupt, <laughs> but they had another job in Salt Lake city. <laughs> and I'm like, cool mountains. Um, I'll move. So I did. And I mean, I'm such an idiot. I didn't even know that it got hot there in the summer. So I rented an apartment without air conditioning. Oh, um, I mean, I moved to Salt Lake without ever having seen it. That's like a literal, and... that's a literal <laughs> hot mess. That is a literal <laughs> hot mess. So you were like, you were running marketing for some mall among a yeah. bunch of Mormons. That's funny. Yes. Yeah. And we were right across the street from Temple Square. Oh, really? Literally, like 50 feet. You walked out the door and there you were. So we had a lot of, I, I have a funny story about that because again, you know, I'm so ignorant to, um, to Mormon culture and that kind of stuff. So I move out there. And I get in charge of buying the holiday decor for yeah. the mall. <laughs> yeah. And so I find, I buy these doves, these massive doves. They're 20 or 30 feet. And we're suspending them from the ceilings and lighting them and all this stuff. And then everybody loved them so much and I couldn't figure out why. And then I learned that the Mormons have a, have a mythology about um, seagulls saving the Mormons from a plague of grasshoppers. Oh, wow. Is that true? I got to Google that. I totally walked into that. Like, I had no idea that was why everyone loved my decor so much. <laughs> you just, it's, it's complete accident. It's like complete yeah. serendipity. Yeah. That's yeah. Funny. Craziness. That's 
Um, so you're like 24 or something. Yeah. Like running marketing for a mall yeah. like Temple Square. Yeah. It's fun. Um, and, and it was fun. It, it was such a wild time. So how long did you end up staying over there? Oh, only about a year because I sort of got fired. Oh, really? Um, well, it was a get fired or quit sort of thing, so I quit. Um, it's a long story, but, you know, live and learn, right? And um, it was a good experience. I'm, I'm glad I did it. Yeah. So then about, like, that transition from, like, 20s to 30s. So, like, what's your word association for 30s? Or, like, how do you look back on that? Um, more direction. Started to, so I decided when the job went bad in Salt Lake, I could either move to Dallas or move to Chicago. And uh, I moved back to Chicago. And that kind of really changed the trajectory for basically the rest of my life. Um, of course, you don't know these things at the time, right? right? You know, you're on the interstate with your cat and you're hauling a U-Haul. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're trying to get through Nebraska when the winds are like 80 miles an hour. And you really don't know how this is all going to pan out. Yeah, what's but, that called? Butterfly effect or whatever? Have yeah. That concept? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, like, I talk about it. I always tell people like, Okay, I went to this stupid grad school program in Minneapolis that, like, in hindsight, I resent, or not resent, but regret going to, right? So I was leaving that program, and I didn't have a job lined up, even though that was kind of like the whole premise of me going to that program, right? So I don't have a job lined up, and I was like, doing that thing where you put all those dumb job boards on your phone, and you'd like set it to easy apply. And I was Ooh. dropping literally like 250 resumes a day, right? It was <laughs> pro- pointless. So I wasn't getting anything because obviously those sites are black holes, basically. So I wasn't getting anything. So I got really frustrated one day. And I just like the girl I was with at the time, my ex, she was at work. And I just went to this bar, Louie chain restaurant like three blocks from my house and i was eating like onion rings and i had like three beers or something at like one in the afternoon and i did like another 250 resume drops from that bar right so then Mm -hmm. somehow like i came home and wrote this blog post that had simon sinek in it yeah So, so like one place i had dropped a resume that day their CEO was, like, obsessed with Simon Sinek, like, invited him to speak at their internal trade show and all this stuff. So uh-huh. the hiring manager for that place, because, like, when she Googled me, she found my blog and, like, the most recent post was about Simon Sinek. She called me and was like, whoa, this is such a coincidence. So that's, like, that job is how I got to Texas this time. So I'm always like, man... If I hadn't, like, gone to eat onion rings at one in the afternoon on a random Thursday, like, yeah. I, I might be working in Nebraska right now, you know? <laughs> it was like, like, it's just, because at the time, you have no idea that any right. of these things are going to lead anywhere, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I, how well did I get here? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, like, what's interesting, and, like, you and I have talked about this on Twitter, it's like, I almost think, like, the conventional like financial family planning advice that we've given for like four generations now is probably like more worthless than it's ever been. Like I have, my girlfriend has friends that are like, they buy like 
$600,000 houses because they, they both work in like quote unquote like traditional industries. But then you see like every industry getting disrupted by something, right? So it's like you have no idea if you're going to be able to pay that house off, you know? Well, yeah, and that's what I want to talk about. So I start out right out of college in retail marketing. Well, we all know where retail is today. Right. Okay, then I go to healthcare which was not the place to be at that point in time because they were talking about uh, totally reforming it. Right. So that, so that kind of goes away. Then I go to um, technical stuff. Okay, that's still here and alive right. and well. Right. Um, then I go to credit card industry, which is still here alive and well. You know, then I bounce around a little bit more. So it, it's interesting to me because, honestly, I never planned on a single job I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah, I don't honestly either. And then one thing I think about for myself, too, is like, I don't like I'm 39. And I feel like almost my entire 30s, like, I haven't really ever had like a quote unquote real job. Because like, I guess when I turned 30, I did. Because I was at ESPN. But I left there when I was like 31. And I had this job at PBS for a while. But it was like, I had, like, a 77-year-old boss who, like, he would scream at you sometimes, and he was, like, never around. He was just, like, trying to collect 26 more paychecks before retirement, right? So uh, so that didn't feel like a real job. Then I was in this grad program for two years, so I wasn't really working. And then I had this first job in Texas through that Simon Sinek thing. That was, just like, 17 months, and then they laid a bunch of us off. And then I've been freelance pretty much since then, right? Minus like a couple larger gigs. So I almost feel like in the last nine years, I've had like a standard job, like maybe 17, like 17 total months, you know? I've had many more standard jobs, but none of them were what I anticipated. I, yeah. I, I can really say that for sure. And, you know, the, I like to say, and it's kind of funny, but the only skill I ever really learned in school kill, still keeps me employed is that typing class I had in high school. Yeah. Because I am such a fast typist. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, that does help, saved, man. Saved me a lot of times. I was um, <laughs> in fourth grade, third grade, fourth grade. We used to have that Mavis Beacon game. It's like a typing mm-hmm. game, right? And I always was first in my class at it, but my teacher got on my ass all the time because I don't use home row. I just like I'm fast doing hunt and pack, right? So mm-hmm. my teacher always used to blow me up and say like invalidate my scores, which was like a real nice self esteem thing for like an eight nine year old, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, ty- typing is actually like still a relevant skill in many contexts, you know. Oh. It's funny because you don't, you know, you don't know that either, right? Kids today, my kids didn't learn how to keyboard um, in school. They also didn't teach them cursive. So they basically can't write at all except texting on their phone. Um, <laughs> but somehow they survive. Uh, yeah, totally. All right. So then talk to me about, we don't have to get in deep into the divorce side of it. But no. What do you think, like? everybody always says like man having kids is like that's like the that's the the epoch moment the change moment like did you feel that way do you believe that in hindsight yes and no okay see because it was never my goal 
I, I didn't want kids um, most of my life until I was in my 30s. And, and the person that I married didn't really want them either. So, so that wasn't our goal of getting married. Um, so that was kind of interesting because we were married a long time before we had kids. We were married seven years. Oh, really? Um, because it really wasn't a goal for us. Yeah. And what, what changed that, and honestly, I think having kids probably was a major factor in my divorce. Because it changed the relationship so fundamentally, yeah. Um, that the cracks that were there became large fissures right. and giant earthquakes and sinkholes, yeah. and <laughs> yeah. it just put a lot of pressure on um, um, some things that weren't great to begin with. Yeah, I got, um, I got, uh, I got he uh, like Mother's Day or Father's Day last year because I. Um, like somebody that my girlfriend is friends with basically like she was dragging her husband through the mud on everything anytime you socialize with them or whatever you can tell there's like cracks into fissures there right they had this one kid and like she still you know keeps like keeps dragging him through the mud on everything and vice versa right and and then like she tells her girlfriends at this thing, like, oh, we're, we're starting to try for number two, which, by the way, is, like, the most white thing you can possibly say, right? So she's like, well, we're starting to try for number two. And you're like, okay, well, like, how's that going to fix anything? <laughs> is that, is okay. that going to make it better, you know? No, it, at least in my personal experience, number two was putting gas on the fire. Oh, yeah. I think a hundred. I think it would be that way in a hundred percent of cases, but I don't, I mean, I don't have kids right now, but I would say like, it's the same thing where people like, I don't know why we do this as human beings, but it feels like we attach like an object or an event is going to be the thing that like makes everything better. Like you sent me that meme where it was like, only one month until I tell everybody that this is my year. (laughs) And it's like, but I feel that way. It's like you meet these, like women and men do it. So like dudes, a lot of times it's around career. They'll be like, oh, well, once I become like assistant head of IT, like everything will fall into place. And then Mm -hmm. a a lot of times you see it around like marriage or kids. And it's like, well, this this shit's going to save this other shit. And it's like, uh, it doesn't usually work like that. Uh-uh. And, and to what we were just talking about, like a lot of times you just make a random decision because it's the best decision at that time and it leads to other stuff, right? So yeah, I don't even think that many people are like, for all the guru thought leader stuff we have going on in society right now, I don't even think that many people are strategic about their life, to be honest. I think a lot of people are just like, oh, okay. I got laid off from this thing, so I need to do something else. Yeah. <laughs> like, because the reality is the electric bill is due. Yeah. 100%. And if you don't pay it, you know, you don't have electricity. Right. And 100%. Um, so you've got to do that. And I, I don't know. You know, I think that we as Americans tend to overestimate how much we can control. Yeah, I would agree. Other cultures understand and accept the randomness of life. Yeah. Um, more than yeah. we do. We just think we can bend the universe to our will, and that is not always how it works. No, and the universe usually will snap back in your face when you try to do mm-hmm. that. You know? I mean, and I think... 
comical and sometimes it's tragic. <laughs> right. I think there are I think there are there are things that are controllable, but they're very micro level things. I don't think any macro level thing is controllable. Like I can control when I take my dog out or something, but I don't right. think any macro level thing is like truly controllable. And it's like kind of folly to even think that. Right. And I think, yeah, I don't know if you buy into the whole, I guess your kids are like Gen Z or whatever. I don't know yeah. if you buy mm-hmm. into the whole, like the shift in parenting styles and stuff where like, we're not exposing them to as much adversity, like the trophies argument or whatever. Um, I always yeah, wonder, but here's the thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just always wonder about it because it's like I do meet kids that are like 25 to 30 now at different events, and it does feel like they were brought up to like be shielded. You can almost tell instantly. It's like, oh, these people were shielded from adversity, right? And then obviously everybody's different, and there are people that have dealt with a lot of adversity by the time they turn 20 or whatever. Um, but what's your take as a parent of a generation that like a bunch of stuff is already being ascribed to, like, what's your take just looking at your kids and their friends? Yeah. So I have a 19 year old who's a freshman in college Uh and I have a 17 year old who's a junior in high school. So they are Gen Z. Here's the thing. They weren't sheltered from their parents' adversity. Right. My God, their dad and I went through a tumultuous divorce that took forever. Right. Then each of us have been laid off from jobs. Right. We've had, you know, financial stress because of those things. Uh, my ex-husband has lost both his parents. Um, lots of stuff has happened. Lots of life has happened. Um, they were both not athletic children. Right. So they were bullied like crazy at school. Yeah. Something horrible. Yeah. Because they're not athletic children. Right. Not um, alpha males. Oh, so that's been one of their experience. They're, they didn't get shelter from that. Um, and so yes and no, right? Because maybe everybody got a trophy, but if you're not on the team, that's irrelevant. Right. It's a good point. Um, so, you know, they they didn't play soccer. You could call me a soccer mom, but my kids didn't play. Right. Um, so there's, so there's different things. Plus they are so real because they've seen their parents deal with what happens in the workplace. Yeah. Um, that they have no illusions about what it's like to work, especially work for others. They, they really uh, are very real about that. And um, so I don't think that they expect to come out of the gate being masters of the universe. I, at least my kids don't. Right. I think it's like, I think it's somewhat different geographically, contextually, because I grew up in New York City and my parents didn't have like a ton of friends, but all my dad was like commercial real estate stuff and like every my dad had a lot of like world builder type people that he knew and then their kids were kind of like raised in that ethos and that like from the first day that I can like remember anything about humanity that never appealed to me like I was never like oh man like I look at like dudes like Jeff Bezos and I think that's the most terrifying thing in the world like I would never want to do that you know like scale a business at that level like but then you meet guys all the time that like worship people like that and like wish they could do that right but that just never appealed to me I do think to your point I wish 
Like my dad had a stable job. He got laid off once when I was like 11 and then he got another job pretty easily. So they had like a financial strife for a while, probably like fourth, fifth grade region. But generally he was just like Monday through Friday, stable job, blah, blah, blah. And like, I think I was kind of sheltered because he didn't like talk about it. And I only saw that one layoff pocket. I think I was under an illusion of what the workplace would be. And then I feel like once I got into it, I was like, God, this is terrible. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I don't even so mean it. He's like... not sheltered. I mean, because Gen Z, remember, are the kids of Gen X. They right. are not the kids of boomers or millennials. Right. So, so they're on a different track. Right. Because Gen X has this weird, like, uh, ignored but doing all the work vibe going on. Oh, God. But they've also been, I would, I would imagine that I would, uh, I guess if you're talking five generations in the workplace or whatever, I would imagine that if you did it by layoff percentage, Gen X probably has the biggest slice of that pie because oh, yeah. they've probably been working like 25 or so years. Mm-hmm. I would assume like an average white collar Gen X, I'm sure some, there's some research on this somewhere that I can find, but I would assume an average white collar Gen X has lost probably like three to six jobs. <laughs> if, if oh, I was going to say six to eight, oh, just yeah. based on um, people I know. Yeah. Yeah. Did, uh, seriously? So, so we expect it almost at a certain point. So that just changes your worldview a whole lot. Right. And then, oh, you help but bring that home to your kids. Um, so they, I, at least from my perspective out here in the Midwest, that's, that's what I think, but I don't know, maybe it's different elsewhere. I, you know, I couldn't say. Yeah. One of your other great ones that you said once is like, <laughs> that five-year question is so ridiculous because it's like who stays at yeah. jobs for five years <laughs> like right either you're gonna get either you're gonna get laid off or um or like well, you're gonna leave. Gets bought. <sighs> yeah. I did two companies that got bought too right. yeah. um while I was there and then they did massive layoffs oh, or no doubt, man. your boss gets fired oh, and yeah. then there's a new sheriff in town yeah or whatever right because whether it's your choice or not, it's constantly changing. Yeah. I used to work with this guy who was doing inside sales. And, okay, I got to back this story up one second. When I, I was teaching in the inner city in when I was 22, 23, I did teach for America, right? So mm-hmm. Houston, I was in Houston. So Houston Independent School District, this is like 2003 technology. So it's good but not great. Um, they had a portal that you could take like fully developed lesson plans off of. Right. And every Sunday this portal crashed. Right. Cause all these teachers <laughs> were trying to take lesson plans off it. So I lived with this kid. I lived with four guys and this kid, Charlie Nader, and I'll tag him on Facebook whenever I share this, but every Sunday he like, he lived downstairs and I lived upstairs in this house in Houston Every Sunday at like 4 p.m., you would hear him just scream because that portal was down. And it was like he was tearing his hair out of his head. Okay, so like 14 years later, I worked with this guy in inside sales. And he used to go nuts because he would work these accounts like to sell some agency service. He'd work these accounts and then someone's boss would leave 
or a situation would change. So the decision maker got shifted, right? So, mm-hmm. like, he would always be in the office, like, screaming out of his office, like, the decision makers are changing. <laughs> and, and I was like, man, it was just like a synopsis of work for me because, like, that stuff happens all the time. And then somebody comes in and is like, let's run this change management initiative or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's never going to work because the people that have to buy in won't be here in two years. <laughs> like, how could you ever possibly make it work? Right, like, um, okay, like, I worked at a place, my first job down here, that Synec deal. When I was there, the CEO announced, like, oh, we have a whole new approach to data. We're going to do everything differently with data and analyzing stuff for our members and blah, blah, blah. And, like, literally six weeks later, like, the CFO left. <laughs> and then, like, mm-hmm. some data guy left right after him. So it's like, well, that's why I'm scrapped. And we had, like, <laughs> this huge all-hands meeting about it where everyone's like, we got to commit to data, blah, blah, blah. And it's, like, literally seven weeks later, like, the two main people of it are gone. And now no one's talking about it anymore, right? Right, right. It's, it's gone. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, that stuff happens so frequently and so regularly in jobs and you're just like it's almost like it's almost like a shakespearean comedy like a tragic comedy you know oh yeah yeah i remember when the what was that japanese quality improvement thing was oh, really ta- big for ta- a while yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah yeah i've so many of these things come and go, so it's hard to get excited about. <laughs> you, see, you see these like fourteen thousand word articles on medium about yeah uh, about yeah. like integrating agile and kanban and oh just, god like, <laughs> i know this could honestly be used as toilet paper you know like oh yeah i t- I, I think i tweeted this a couple of days ago but i've opened a seventeen thousand word article on how to hire better which first of all no one would ever read it's too long but right I opened this article as like a New Yorker article length about the hiring process, right? And I did a control F, like a find within it. And I tried salary and compensation, and there were zero references to each. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this, this article okay. clearly has a lot of value, you know? You write 17,000 yeah. words and don't mention the main reason that people choose as a differentiator for their next role, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I also just think sometimes we get twisted about how we talk about work. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That might even like that might make it harder for people because you have this you have that hustle culture that I can't even I can't even like look in the fit with a straight face anymore. Right. But you have this like hustle culture and then this like rank and file drone type culture. Right. And it's like those two are speaking completely different languages. Right. And there's so many just like general personalities everywhere you work that are hard to manage and introverts and extroverts. I just feel like we try to apply this like utopian language to it, but it's never really like that. Um, and that probably, conf- like that. that probably confuses people in all honesty. Like uh, the first thing I do when I start a new job is I, I shut up for a while and okay. I look around mm-hmm. just yeah. observe Figure yeah. out who the players are and what, what game they're playing um, so that you can try to, you know, at least stay on the board in that game. Yeah. Uh, this guy, Torin Ellis, is like a diversity-type speaker. 
It's like he got a big Twitter following. I was at mm-hmm. a conference with him in Arlington, Virginia, and he said, um, "He said when you start a new job, if you have any like S level, C level people whose calendars are open public, it's like just mm-hmm. look at just look at like four weeks of their calendar. Where do they spend most of their time, like meeting wise mm-hmm. or event wise? And he's like, that's that's what actually matters to the company. So just like." find a way to associate yourself with that, right? Like, whatever yeah. <laughs> whatever they tell you matters to the company, like, whatever the mission statement is, that doesn't matter to the company. Like, look up as many public schedules as you can and see what those yeah. guys spend their weeks doing, and it's like, okay, yeah. this is what matters, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you have to figure out where you're going to get your points. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's true, though, man. It's all a game. It's like, and that's why I always think it's funny. I wrote about this once, but like Bezos gave a speech in Berlin and I thought it was creepy as hell. First of all, all these warehouse workers in Germany were picketing the speech as he was going into it. And then he kept calling his net worth, his Amazon winnings, like not earnings, not what. And I was like, this is so creepy, but it also is how all these guys think about this stuff, you know? It's a game. Yeah, I've seen you about that. It it is a game, and that's why. I mean, I've had that points thing in my head for years because, like, some places you work, you get points for being there early. Right. Some places you work, you get points for being there at night. Some places you work, you get points for sending emails on a weekend. Some places, you know, so figure out where you get the points. That's always a good thing to think about. Hundred percent. I used to work with this kid at an agency, and uh, he was uh, he was a. Uh, he was like the king of virtue signaling about weekend emails, right? <laughs> so he'd always be like, he'd come in on Monday and be like, Ted, I just, I need you to know that yesterday I got six work-related emails. And I was like, six, dude. Imagine if you were like a junior lawyer, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, I have a friend that's a lawyer, and now he's like with the federal government. <laughs> he was like... When he was working for a firm in San Francisco, um, he was on the, this Apple-Samsung lawsuit, like an intellectual property lawsuit. And we had to uh-huh. go to a bachelor party, and it was in Las Vegas. And he flew to Las Vegas and basically sat in the airport at, like, at a Chick-fil-A until like 10 p.m. because of this freaking Apple case. And then the uh. whole... The whole weekend he was getting emails. He probably got like 1,500 emails that weekend, right? And then I I always remember that because I used to sit next to this kid and he'd be like, I got six emails on Sunday. I'm like, big whoop, man. But your point system is right. I mean, there are different ways you accrue points in any organization for sure. And you have to know where those come from based on where you're working at the time. Yep, yep. And it's, it's always different. So, you know, just take a look around. I mean... I don't know. I don't have any advice on that. I just find it interesting yeah. when I go from place to place. It is interesting. And then, all right, so a couple last ones. So how how would you associate, like, 40s? Like, how's that been different in your eyes? What comes to that mind That was on huge. That? The 40s was actually huge for me. That's where I saw the biggest turning point as far as things – Oh, no, I, I hate to use cliches like becoming my own person, right. but I became my own person and it didn't click in until my forties. 
Like a um, eat, pray, love moment? No. It, what happened was, I mean, well, I ended up moving again to another state, but now I have two kids and now I get divorced and now I'm a single parent. My closest relative is 500 miles away and I have to figure it all out. Um, and so that was really interesting because uh, it's, it wasn't easy, but it was the most rewarding thing I've ever done. That's beautiful. <laughs> I, I always like, I thought my thirties in general have been average to below average. Um, so I'm like, I'm holding out big hope on my forties personally. I know I just did the thing <clears throat> that we talked about earlier where I was like, well, it's, it's only one month until I get to tell everybody <laughs> this is my year. Yeah. <laughs> I always say that too. Like this is the year I'm going to, I'm going to get fit find my soulmate, get a rewarding career, I'm going to become financially stable, I'm going to travel the world, and I'm going to remember to take my dog in for her shots. Like, <laughs> it's all going to happen. Yeah. I don't actually think until that moment that I realized that Oreo was a female dog. Oh, yeah. Oreo's a female dog. She's got an alpha personality, though. Oh, really? What type of yeah. dog is that? I can't even tell, really. Well, she's a rescue. She doesn't like to talk about her past, um, but she's part lab, part lab, part something. Oh, part lab. Yeah, Samson's part lab, part Great Dane. Um, so it's just like a taller lab, you know? Um, yeah, the funny thing about her is she was in foster care with uh, bigger dogs. So she thinks she's a big dog. She only weighs 32 pounds, but she bosses all the dogs at the dog park. And, like, when we take her to dog day camp, they have to put her in with the big dogs. Yeah. She doesn't know she's not a big dog. Yeah. Samson's, like, a big polar. And there was, a like, about a year ago, there was a lady at a doggy day camp who was, like, five months pregnant. And they were like, Anna can't be with Samson. He's a, he's a polar. And I was like, man, my dog just got shamed publicly, you know? It's funny. Um, all right. So then, last thing I would ask, and again, I don't, um, I don't. Uh, it's it's a deeper question, so you don't have to like have some amazing answer for it. But um, as you've moved through all this stuff and these states and life experiences and everything, are there any like core tenants? Like, I don't need you to put it on a meme poster or anything. But mm-hmm. are there any core tenants that you've tried to stick to about? Just like dealing with life, dealing with other people, just like generic life advice that you try to stick to. Yeah, I, it, it, it took me a long, long time to get to this place. But honestly, I try not to take myself so seriously. Mm-hmm. And I also try to trust in the universe more, which means to me, go with the flow more. This is the thing in front of me right now, so I'll choose this. I'm not going to worry about five weeks from now or five months from now or five years from now. I'm just going to go with what what feels right to me. And I'm also not willing to compromise as much as far as what I believe in. I worked at one place where the people were very evil and some of them were going to jail. (laughs) And I I don't want to be there anymore, so I left. Yeah. And when I was younger, I might have said, oh, I'll put up with this because of this, that, or the other thing. And um, I, I don't do that anymore. I, I just don't tolerate it. If it's not in line with where I want to be or what I want to do, I don't do it. 